Welcome to the Geomologist Presents. In this episode, we have unboxings like promised. We have some mini reviews or overviews or first impressions of a couple games that I just got. The After, which is a Savage World setting, and the Promised Streets, a role-playing game, mini review commentary, a game where you play stray dogs or cats or a rat and uh, have hijinks and adventures. I also answer to a question from Jason Connerly and answer it by another comment or summary of the new Twilight 2000 rule set and then recaps of the various games that I played this week. So thank you very much for listening and enjoy. My first unboxing. So this is a package from Lightning Source out of Laverne, Tennessee. It's an economy mail package, USPS tracking, and it measures 10 and a half by 16 and a quarter. If you might know what Lightning Source orders, so here it goes, let's open it up. It's an easy open package. Inside are two books. The first book is a, an adventure book from Call of Cthulhu, but also using gumshoe rules called The Sasan Files, The Brother of Jesus. So it's a Call of Cthulhu project where uh, it's a scenario for the Sasan Files, which is a campaign that takes place in China out of Shanghai, I believe. And I've definitely been wanting to run it. I have some PDF products and this looks pretty cool. And hey, it was on sale for some reason. So I decided to get it. Looks pretty neat. The second product is part of my penchant and obsession maybe for post-apocalyptic games and it's called the after it's a savage world licensed product and i believe it definitely is uh, it looks really nice it's a good size uh soft cover book measuring about well 242 pages worth of savage world stuff and instead of being the little savage world book it's a big big book but the same kind of font and two column format that most Savage Worlds books have. And it looks like it's a Savage World Adventure Edition. It's by Feigning Goat Games, Jade Monkey Studios, called The After. The war is over. The enemy has gone. Reclaim the Earth. So it's post-apocalyptic where an, an enemy and the enemy's enemy aliens fought and caused a lot of destruction on Earth. And it looked pretty neat. Um, I thought it was cool in that you don't just play humans, but there are other races that you can play. Um... There are the hulking Helot, the nimble wily Scav, and the people who are the changed, which are, I guess, non-humans who might have uh, special arcane. Well, it's not arcane. I guess it's, it's sci-fi. It would be like a psionic background. So it looks pretty cool. Um, in a way, everything is kind of knocked back to maybe the 19th century technology. Um, so... There's remnants of the aliens that are on Earth, and you got it. Seems like it's sort of Rocky Mountains. The uh, the setting, they have like a, a Wind River Valley setting, and it has a town that you're based out from, and then various ruins and things you can do. It reminds me very much of, of Other Dust. Um, so pretty cool. I'm looking forward to maybe setting up a Savage Worlds on the Roll Twenty and running some of the after. A little bit more on the after. Like I said, it's a Savage Worlds uh, licensed product. 
post-apocalyptic action in a changed world by Fainting Goat Games and Jade Monkey Studios. Uh, the authors are... The artwork and original concept are by John Gibbons, and the author is Sean Noakes, and there's additional writing by a host of people. It's a definitely a new product, so it's got to be Adventure Edition, but I wanted to read the little intro, because I thought it was kind of neat. And during your game of the after, you can explore strange alien wreckage, scavenge from the ruins of forgotten cities, hunt incredible prey in the depths of warped jungles, and explore all manner of bizarre landscapes. You and your companions can defend survivor settlements from bandits, tribes of twisted ferals, and other dangerous creatures. You might discover uncanny alien artifacts left behind from the conflict that destroyed the old world. Some of these might contain alien breach energy, that's the big bad alien that was there, and deliver incredible but short-lived powers. Others might be biomechanical augmentations that can, with great risk, be implanted right into your flesh. Most importantly, it will be you, or people like you that shape the course of humanity's future. So it's kind of neat. It's supposed to be not as dystopian, but hope. There is hope in the world. And uh, that's it. So I'll actually uh, I'll look up the website and put the info for it on um, online. I did get it from Drive-Thru Studios or Drive-Thru Print On Demand. So oh, there you go. Oh, they have a uh, they have a podcast. The uh, Banff podcast, the Mana Burnt podcast, etc. So, very cool. John, a John Gibbons production. All right, another unboxing. I have a box here that is says time sensitive material from Hunt Valley, Maryland. UPS USPS tracking. The box is eight by ten by five and a quarter deep. So here goes. see lots of packing paper inside and two, several books oh this is the uh what other people have unboxed this but i guess i'm just getting to this now the osc essentials editions that i in bubble wrap everything looks nice and compact i open it up and what am i getting i think i had gotten the box set before and these are the editions from the last kickstarter so here we go. What am I? Uh, so the one, two, two adventure books, The Incandescent Grottoes and Halls of the Blood King uh, by Gavin Norman and Diego Noguera. The reference booklet. Uh, Carcass Crawler. A zine, the carcass crawler zine. Oh, very cool. Um, and then the monsters, treasures, and genre rules, and druid and illusionist spell books to complete the collection. So very exciting. What is a reference booklet? I know everything else seems pretty um, so intuitive. Oh, just like a quick game procedural. Waterborne Adventures, Encounters, Combat, The Matrix, uh, Different Monsters by Hit Dice Type, Dungeon Encounters, um, Quick Player Characters, and their Ability Scores, What Bonuses Mean, 
saving throw table, classes and skills, chances of success, turning undead, spell progression, languages, weapon proficiencies, and secondary skill, downtime and equipment, animals and transport, uh, equipment lists with adventuring gear, weapons and armor. So it's like a handy dandy little reference to keep at the table, quick reference for old school essentials. I like that. And the other thing was the Carcass Crawler Zine. I like these little books. They're kind of cool. Uh, so they have uh, new fan fantasy classes like the Arcane Bard, Beastmaster. Looks pretty cool. Compatibility with OSC. I like that. Very nice. So this is like, it looks like a, everything is dedicated to uh, player stuff. So player... New fantasy classes and new fantasy races, the changeling, mutoid, and mycelene. Mycelian, like a fungus man. Expanded equipment. Do they got ladders? They have, oh, they have ladders. Five gold pieces for a 10-foot wooden ladder. There you go. It's important to have ladders in a RPG. So I'm very excited about these books to add them to my OSC collection. It'd be fun to get OSC to the table. Maybe that's another one I can put up on the Roll20 and just have going like a drop-in drop-out type of dealie or just play various adventures and go from there but there I go unboxing the old school essentials how to put it on my shelf oh and guess what there's a, another unboxing that I'm going to share with you in this episode again it's another box oh it says frog god game so I'm pretty sure I know what this is it is a again in a five and a quarter deep and eight by ten so it's Don't cut yourself. Yep, yep, it's the uh, Sword and Rizgri box set, also in Kickstarter from late last year. You hear the pop, pop, pop of all the stuff that are surrounded by bubble wrap. So there's an outer box and an inner box. Lovely. Lots of stuff for the recycle. So it did come with the, on the outside was an accessory pack. And the inside inner box contains the complete box set. Very cool. It seems like it has dice in it. Nice. You can hear it shaking. Just try to, un to take off the shrink wrap here. In the box and see what's inside. Like I said, outside was an accessory pack. Oops, stuff falling all over the place. What does the accessory pack contain? A referee screen, more monsters, and an adventure, it seems. The accessory pack in a little sleevey thing. I don't know how I'm a fan of those sleevey things because I never know what to do with them. They never fit in anything. But hey, the uh, Oh, the uh, screen is pretty nice. 
little four panel screen. Not very, seems like it's, uh, how tall is the screen? Five and a half inches. So, and it has a uh, monster attack, fighter paladin attack, cleric, it's just attack tables on it. I like the art though, it's a nice, cool art on the outside. And then the Baron's Gambit, which, oh, Baron's Gambit and more monsters. So more monsters are a little monster book. Some more monsters. Supplement number one. And then Adventure Module, the Baron's Gambit. Nice. Good little adventure. Put it back in the accessory pack, little CD thing. And what's in the box? Shake it open. Oh, by the way, for the OSC stuff, I have the original box from the first Kickstarter. All the rule books fit in there, and I just took out the uh, adventures to just hang, put it on my shelf. But all the rule books fit in there pretty well. It's still closed. And here we got a bookmark, a set of green dice. Thank you note. That's very nice. Awesome. Spells and magic book, the referee book, the monsters book, and the player book. And, oh, character sheets. Very nice. Very simple character sheets. I like that, that setup and style. That's cool. Uh, these books are all about 50 or so pages. Um, so there you go. Player book. That looks like everything will be able to fit, so I will put the accessory pack in the box with everything. I like that. Everything fits really well. There you go, Swords and Rithery complete box set unboxing. Hey Carl, Jason here. You, you know, my memory's not the same as it ever was, and because I, I'm fairly tone deaf, I never really got that much into music, to be honest. Um, I, I kind of know some bands, but, you, you know, I'm pretty limited in being able to tell you this is that song from that band. I was doing the best I could. Sorry. As far as post-apocalyptic games, yeah, I love that genre, especially that genre of movies. Um, now, I'm not so much into zombies. I think zombies are overdone. But for non-zombie apocalypses and stuff, I, I'm, I'm into that. So I look forward to what you have to say. I've got a number of those games myself, both board games and RPGs. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to see where that goes. I know you're looking at, you know, the new version, Twilight 2000. I look forward to playing that. And, um, yeah, whatever else you want to run. Jason mentioned Twilight 2000, the fourth edition. And this was a Kickstarter done recently by Free League Publishing, Free Elegon. And they are famous for the Mutant Year Zero engine. So this game is a modification of that game system. And so far on paper, as I've read through it, they've released the PDFs, the final proof PDFs. It seems like a amalgamation of Savage Worlds and the Mutant Year Zero engine. So, um, for example, in Mutant Year Zero Engine, you 
need to roll a pool of six-sided dice, and six is a success. In the Twilight 2000, they expand that to where you can improve your attributes and skills to eight, 10, and 12, and you roll skill plus attribute, two dice, and you look at the results, and you measure that result by number of successes, again, over six. So obviously on an eight, it's six to eight. On a 10, it's six to 10. And on a D12, it's six to 12. So your chances improve with your increase in skill or attribute. Also, if you get a 10 or better, which will be a D on the D10 or the D12 dice, that counts as two successes. So I haven't quite read through combat yet, but I know already that you use a form of the action card mechanic from Savage Worlds where you draw cards but instead of card, you get basically get rid of all the face cards and you use the the cards uh, two through ten with the ace as a one, and you draw, and the lower the better. So an ace is a, a one, and that is the best result that you could get. You can go fast, fastest. So again, I got to re read through uh, the mechanics, but they do have. You know, rules for automatic fire, rules for suppressing fire. It definitely is um, has that vibe of the survival game, reminiscent of the original Twilight 2000, which I did uh, take a look at, in, and in comparison, uh, it it's very math. Oh, the original Twilight 2000 is just very math intensive, and you need a calculator around, and the math isn't always intuitive um, it, for example in range combat instead of it instead of you know the range increments or the damage being uh, 0 0.5 0 0.25 it's weird like 0 0.6 um, 0 0.4 I mean it, seriously it's not it's not just a divisible by two thing for whatever reason that the designers came up with and for, and even in character creation, you need to, when you do all your stats, you need to add them up. And that is a factor that goes into your skills. And you have, they have a big worksheet that you have to do to, do, to fill it out. Um, so it is pretty complicated and cumbersome. But as I was talking to Shea Webster of Roleplay Rescue, I guess I feel it wasn't that cumbersome when we were doing it back in, I'm going to say high school, early college years, maybe because we were in class and we were always doing math anyway. So it wasn't a big deal. But now we want something faster, slicker. Um, character creation in Twilight 2000, you can do two methods. There's an archetype method, which is they have templates and you just answer a few questions and you're done. It didn't take that long. I put uh, six characters up on the roll 20, inspired by a little intro paragraph to chapter two in the character creation where it introduced a little team and I actually rolled an APC for them so uh, if we ever take this to the roll 20 the characters will have an APC uh, group of six but you know it's hard to get six six players um, especially for a older post-apocalyptic type game but I like post-apocalyptic and Jason suggested that he did I've already had some interest on the Carl's Gaming Dungeon. Maybe you'll get some more. Um, that should be pretty cool. Anyway, uh, what else was I going to say about Twilight 2000? It definitely still has, or the other character creation method, 
is a life path method, which goes into more detail and you go basically four year by four year increment, reminiscent of what Modiphius 2D20 does, um, or even Traveler, any incarnation of Traveler does. So you can be more granular in your character creation and see where they were or where they were at. They have rules on, you know, whether you are busted out of your career or, and when the, when the war starts, so you can figure out how old you are when the war starts. So that's pretty, very interesting life path system. I wanted to get pre-gens out there just in case people didn't want to do that. And I use the archetype method, but if anyone wants to do the life path method, hey, let's go for it. It should be fun to do. And we'd have to do, I would suggest to do a session zero where everyone kind of makes a character. I did that with the Warhammer fantasy RPG that I'm running and it worked really well. I mean, at least I got the shell of what the characters were. They didn't go into all the details, but we got together and we ruled um, basically, at least in Warhammer fantasy, we ruled uh, species, class, and then roll the stats. All the things that would or would not give you XP if you did random. So I um, guess what am I disappointed with in the Twilight 2000 so far? I think uh, the weapon weapons and gear section is not as comprehensive as it could be, but then the old system in Twilight 2000, they had whole books on they had like a basic system, but even in the, in the main book, there's still a lot of choices. I mean, here I have, um, you know, just a smattering of basic, um, basic civilian weapons and, and then U.S. military, German military, no, not German, you know, some German military, Polish military, Soviet military, and Swedish military, since one of the regions you can start in is on the, um, on the Swedish coast as opposed to Poland, which is the traditional starting point. I will probably start in Poland if I run it. I think it would have been nice to have like at least names of guns. I mean, although, I mean, we have the internet, I could look it up. I looked up, for example, what uh, US, what the US SEALs use as sniper rifles, um, aside from the Barrett Light 50 that they had just barely incorporated uh, uh, in 2000, so there weren't really enough. It doesn't make sense. And then I looked up, you know, what German sidearms would be available because that was not as comprehensive for one of the characters who's a German uh, intelligence agent. So, you know, I guess you can do that again if you know guns or you can Google it. So it's not that big a deal. The game is still a survival game. You need to keep track of food, water, and radiation. Um, you, I noticed the APC has is on runs on diesel fuel. That's probably going to run out unless the characters find it. But then they have rules for converting your engine to uh, using alcohol as a fuel system, which I think is always a fun and pretty cool thing. Um, I really liked something that was neat in character creation is not only do they have their skill and attribute, but each character has a talents. And you get a talent based on one of your skills, and it gives you a bonus dice. Or actually, it bumps up your dice um, instead of a bonus dice. I think bonus dice was in the old MYZ, in the older or the other MYZ system. But in this variant, you'd basically bump your dice from like a D8 to a D10 or something like that. If you have a, a talent specialization in a, for a particular skill, a subset of a particular skill. 
<clears throat> for example, Ronson, the machine gunner, um, he has machine gunner as a specialty, so he, his dice gets bumped up um, by a dice. I think it goes from D10 to D12, so he's pretty deadly with a squad uh, machine gun. I think he has an M249. So I think it's a pretty neat game. I'm excited to run it. I hope that answers your question, Jason. A brief rundown of it. I think on play, and I think what's neat, I start in the in the Poland. It's a breakout after a military engagement. It is pretty much a sandbox, and there are hints on where you should go, but hey, you don't have to go that way, although it's probably more difficult if you go another way. Um, but it, it looks pretty, like a, it looks neat. And I should stop saying neat. I say neat too way too much. So I'll try to work on that and the ums because Andy Goodman said too many ums make it sound non-professional. But other people said it sounds natural. So in summary, looking forward to running Twilight 2000 one of these days. Games got canceled this week, so I didn't run my Iron Kingdoms 5th edition game that I usually run on Wednesdays, and then our Thursday night game, Barbarians of Lemuria, that Jason Connerly runs, got canceled. Well, we sat, or we chat, chatted a bit on Zoom. One of the players couldn't make it, and Jason, for the finale of his little mini campaign, wants everyone in, in so all hands. So we also talked about what we're going to do next, and I was, I guess, volunteered. I asked what other people would run if we had a backup, but according to Jason's podcast, I was volunteered to run Deadlands, which I was set up to. So that's Twilight 2000 that I set up, Deadlands that I set up, and now I'm going to set up also an, uh, another World 20 of Savage Worlds game, The After. So there you go. That's what's going on there. Uh, however, not all my games got canceled. I got to play Savage Sewers, which Arlen Walker of Live from Pelham's Wasteland runs. And that was hella fun. It was only Shay, Webster, and I. And I play, as I've mentioned, Brody, the big, dumb, slow gator man um, with a heart of gold. Well, I mean, he can stealth and thieve, but whatever. He, if you can imagine him. Imagine if Jack Black were a big gator man because Jack Black in all his movies, he's like the big dude, but he seems like light on his feet and stealthy and jinky. And Brody's kind of like that, except with, you know, a snout full of big teeth and claws. So uh, we did a follow-up last time. We found the robot ninja base. And this time uh, we kind of got together at our lair and we're looking to see what was the ninja master's plans. So um, we looked at the map, looked at a map, called in some of our resources, tried to triangulate what they're, you know, where they're, we're coming from, all these robot ninjas and cyborg ninjas and ninjas in general. And we saw that there are some hot spots. So we started doing patrol and tracked a group down. Um, it was a big fight. We beat them up, a lot of ninja and robot ninja and a cyborg ninja who it looks like are plans to disrupt the Ninja Master's uh, plans had worked 
technology uh, when we took that tech place it seems like the cyborg ninjas aren't as shifty and the robot ninjas aren't as quick so we did something good us sewer creature peoples and uh, after we beat him up we took a prisoner i was able to we got to jump on them and brody in the first round was able to clock one on the head and not bite his head off um, in this combat brody also got to go into berserk rage which made him even more silly crazy i mean definitely hittable but not endurable although i mean arlen did have to roll to shake brody and then you have an option to you're still shaken, but you have an option to go into a berserk rage if you want to or not. So the only set the consequence is that you get fatigued and you can get to two fatigue if you can't shake out of the uh, rage. Uh, the, after five rounds, you're fatigued. After ten rounds, you're double fatigued. So you have to get out of it. And I think it's a it was a smart it's a smart roll, which is uh, not Brody's strong suit. So so we didn't take a prisoner. We interrogated him. It was some fun role playing with uh, Shea Webster, uh, and uh, we got the information to track down the Ninja Master. And we knew his plans were to basically have various locations in the sewers and come up and disrupt Central City or the Big Apple. I think it was Central. No, or the Big Apple. Big Apple City. I guess apples grow on trees there. Apples at every corner. I don't know. New York, come on. And then um, that was it. We got there. We did a dramatic test to get there. And I think we're ready for the finale, I hope, the next time. We'll see how that goes. It should be fun. Hopefully we have backup. If it's just Shay and I, it'll be kind of hard. Anyway, that was... Savage Sewer Creatures. I played another game other than Savage Worlds. Saturday, I played in Kevin Madison's continuing campaign of Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, which is going to have a Kickstarter soon where they'll just shorten the name to Hyperborea. Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is a mouthful. So I play an Amazonian warlock who is a necromancer named Iphigenia Acantadoras. She's a badass. She's got 18 strength. I think it's funny that the other players never remember how strong and badass that Iphigenia is, and they call her Iffy. Kevin calls her Iffy, which bothers... Well, it doesn't bother me from Kevin, but if the other players were to call her Iffy, they would get a fistful of metal that is for sure so uh, but it's neat to see her showcased when there are less players especially less of the martial types um, because she is a pretty badass um, it's too bad that uh, George George's character Malo is not around because that is a one-two punch of swordsmanship and magic that is just devastating because he is a pyromancer anyway so this time we continued our journey uh, after, oh, we started out that we were supposed to find a Tyrannosaurus Rex and there were once three characters, but now there are only two because no one else could show up. But we, we did it. We survived. Uh, Iphigenia held the line. 
got her spear ready. The Tyrannosaurus charged, got stabbed by the spear. And uh, meanwhile, Amar, who's played by Will, he uh, blasted her with his rat radiation gun, blasted her, not Iphigenia, blasted the Tyrannosaurus with his radiation gun while Iphigenia held place. The creature bit and clawed and injured Iphigenia, but she slashed and slashed and slashed some more. And within three rounds, we took it down. Um, it didn't run and it was dead. And now we have Tyrannosaurus steaks for about a week. So uh, we continued on and we ran into some of the, this tribe called the Toad Skippers, which I imagine are, well, Kevin actually did a, did a drawing of them. So they look a vaguely, they look mostly human, but they have bulging eyes, kind of like uh, Lovecrafty and Deep Ones, but not quite fishy, more froggy. So we, uh, oh, we didn't quite run into them yet. We actually found a river. We found a boat in a deserted village. Seems like a lot of villages are deserted. We put the boat back together as best we could. And when we were going across the big river, if you can imagine the Mississippi or the Amazon, a big muddy river like that, we were attacked by these uh, gator men. Um, fortunately, it wasn't Brody from Savage Worlds, gator men. Um, and we lightning bolted and rad blasted them. And they, they tried to knock us into the drink, but they never did. Uh, Iphigenia continued to cut them down. I mean, I rolled pretty well, and I think I missed once in this combat and again got injured. But we have, like, fortunately, potions of healing that we drink like, like shots of whiskey or water. Um, I remember there's this, I can't remember the, the title, but I remember the author was Joel Rosenberg, and it was a series where maybe someone can help me. Probably Jason knows, he knows everything. Uh, it was a series by Joel Rosenberg where these people from Earth went to a fantasy world and he had an interesting consequence of drinking too many healing potions, which was you could not heal naturally or you lost the ability to heal naturally very well because you just down and down healing potions and they kind of messed up your natural healing. It's an interesting idea. I gave that idea to Kevin and he is a devious GM, so maybe he'll implement it, which would be kind of funny. Uh, sorry, everyone. So then anyway, we, uh, we defeated those gator men, creature, troll things, and got to the other side. It was an uneventful night. And then the next day, we ran into the Toad Skipper tribe of uh, human-frog hybrids. And we impressed them because we told them we beat up some frog shambler guys. Um, and they took us to their village so we could have a chance to rest. And uh, they gave us another mission to help them with the war against the frog shamblers and they would take us to the tower so we have some hench henchmen that are toad skippers with us which is great they helped us to identify some magic items that we found which was even better because in ash uh, magic equals xp magic items equals xp and we did pretty well will and i we didn't have to use any astonishing fortune so those are hero points that kevin adds in and uh, we got that banked as XP because we didn't use them because Will and I work really well together, which I think is great. And uh, we got lucky because the game is swingy, right? If, you, if that Tyrannosaur had gotten a, a crit on Iphigenia or hit a couple more times, it would have been a different story. But she hit and it didn't, though it hit a couple times and it hurt. I don't know where I was at. I was interrupted. But... Um, 
I do want to say that it was cool to play with just two people because we came out of there with 9,000 experience points after the monsters and the magic that we identified. And uh, Iphigenia had got a slight upgrade with regards to some magic armor to help she can move faster in the jungle and walk on water and a shield. So it'll be, it's pretty cool. Um, we'll be ready to go next time, I hope. Although I might miss next time because I think we have a appointment to, well, we're gonna go brew beer with a friend of mine on July 3rd. So probably no Ash next time, which would be unfortunate because I'm having fun in these smaller groups. So, I just finished another gaming session today. Today is Sunday. Happy Father's Day, all the fathers out there. Uh, June 20th. And I just uh, finished a session of our ongoing Savage Pathfinder game that is also run by Kevin Madison of the Dungeon Musings podcast and YouTube Actual Play. So it was a really fun session, continuation from last time. Uh, last time we discovered that there were gremlins. We learned that this that they were a form of gremlin called mites, and we were able to. We had we're joined by two new player, two other players, which was good. Um, so we left the henchmen in the background at camp with the horses, and we went to investigate and try to track down uh, these mites, mite gremlin creatures. We tracked them down to their lair. It was like tunnels, and we in, infiltrated the lair, and it was a big combat with lots of mites and two big creatures, a giant centipede and a giant, and a, and the leader riding their a giant tick. Um, to get to there, we had run into some insect swarms, but um, my character dispatched them pretty quickly with the judicious use of burst power, so like a, like a, Burning Hands equivalent type spell. Um, we explored a little bit in their lair until they tried to jump us from two different sides, but uh, we kind of took care of it. Um, Kate was great against the centipede, took it down after casting Smite on her sword, Sky Metal Blade, to make it a giant flaming sword. And uh, the others just were taking down mites left and right. And Mare, our android gunslinger, took down uh, the bad guy riding his giant tick uh, pretty quickly, like fired like rapid shot with the infernal pistol and rolled great on damage and destroyed the rider first and then the tick. So it was, we dispatched them, but then we discovered that uh, we were trying to look for people and prisoners we discovered that the mites, these evil little things, had been collecting people for food, and we only found one survivor, and he was in bad shape. And we also learned that it was the innkeeper who had sold them out. So, you know, we rescued this man, confronted the innkeeper, because he had ordered these horses basically for mite food. So we took him back, and Frontier Justice, that's the world... The alternative was to take him to the Black Sovereign in the capital and try him for, I don't know what, saving his own life at the expense of the others. So we let, did some frontier justice, tied him up to a tree, left a note on him for the mites to come and get him. And Kevin had a like an epilogue scene as we were leaving back to Torch. 
with the mites swarming and attacking this man with insects, this betrayer of his own village, and then cutting him up for food. So it was weird, like a little horror tale with these evil little creatures. Um, but we succeeded. It was fun. That was a, a good time um, with these players. And uh, our characters are pretty hoss. They're in Savage Lands parlance. They are veterans now. And I think they have like 10 advances. So getting close to legendary. And I, as myself, I took some advances. I, I've been taking advances mainly to, you know, for what happens in gameplay, more role-playing, but I had taken some um, extra power points this time around, and then for my advance after this session, I decided to up to open Intimidate, because I didn't have it, but I had to try to use it twice, and I made it once and failed once, and I upped my ride since, you know, I want to be a cavalry riding dwarf. So there you go. That was... Savage Pathfinder, Iron Gods, Verse. All right, I'm going to have a special treat tonight. I ran a game of Deadlands using the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition tonight with my friends David and Melissa, my wife, Amy. And I have special guests. They're going to... I'm going to ask them a question about tonight's session, and they're going to answer, and then I'll uh, follow up probably with some of my thoughts about tonight's session. So we did, were able to finish Showdown at Sundown, and I think it was a pretty cool conclusion. Uh, I like Savage Worlds a lot. I think it works well with Deadlands. All right, so, okay, David, what was your favorite part of tonight's session? I really enjoyed the showdown part. Um, I thought it was really cool how some of the players were actually in the um, uh, the duels, and then the other players were able to uh, uh, try and rile up the crowd or intimidate the other fighter. And it, it, it added a neat component to the game where everybody was involved, even though they weren't necessarily in the duel. Great, thank you. So it was really neat. We used the duel mechanic in the Deadlands book where the duelist gets cards and there's like a buildup while the duelists stare at each other and then things happen in the crowd and like David said, everyone can contribute. And then at the end of round three, we show our cards and I thought it was really neat. And it, what was cool tonight is that, uh, well, two things happened that I thought were cool. Several things happened, all right. So two players participated. Both players won their first round. In the, in the next round, they faced off at each other, but one player conceded right away, which I thought was funny and cool. And I gave him, I think I gave him a Benny for it. Maybe I didn't. They say that I, I keep hearing comments that I don't give out enough Bennies. But in, in the end, uh, the last character faced off against an NPC and won. And it was, it was bloody. It was neat. People were jarring and cheering from the crowd. So the other players were participating, as David said. And I think it was a pretty satisfying duel. I like the duel mechanic. And I did suggest that one of the players take the duelist edge. So I'm going to have to have more duels in the future. Okay, Amy, you're next. What was your most favorite memorable moment from tonight's session? Well, this is the first time in a while I've not been dressed fully as a girl. I was back in my agent costume. I enjoyed dueling with somebody, but it was more fun taunting. Definitely more fun taunting. 
I enjoyed almost dying, but in a defeatist moment, I accidentally on purpose shot back and injured the person, knocking both of us out. That was kind of fun. And then it was very fun not dying completely and going and rescuing the group and killing the big dude with only two shots. Catching the deck of cards and throwing it to my second favorite character for her exciting date with the devil. So we had a good build up to the finale and Amy, as usual, in a stressful moment, rolls exploding dice, especially on damage. I think she did a total of upwards of seven wounds. I couldn't, I tried, I think I used both my bennies to try to soak, or all my bennies that I had left to try to soak. She annihilated like the boss's lieutenant with like one shot from her Gatlin pistol. And then, and then she rolled 25 points of damage, I think on the, the huckster, big bad huckster evil character and took him out. And it was, it was pretty satisfying. Um, I think from a player's perspective, maybe not so much from the GM's perspective, from a player's perspective to just wipe out those two wild cards. All right, so Melissa had stage fright, so but she did tell me what the uh, most. Imp- she doesn't want to talk to you, all you nerds and geeks out there. Sorry. So um, she did tell me her favorite part of tonight's session. However, so during the finale, uh, went after Amy's character Sam threw the card deck, the magical evil card deck, to Hex, which is Melissa's character. I gave her the option of either rolling the dice like a skill, it was a skill challenge or dramatic task anyway, but I I gave her an option of playing hands of poker against the evil Manitou overlord who was controlling the spirits going through the bad gate that they had to shut down by winning cards. So we played two hands of poker. She won both of them. It was pretty cool because she used her, like basically her huckster ability and some gambling rolls and won with two, what did you win with? And what did you win with, Melissa? Both hands were with two sets of pairs. Great. Yeah, and I had I had a, like a pair of fives and then nothing. So she beat the skull-faced, cow-headed, skull-faced Manitou, and they shut the gate. They won the day. They saved the town. Best, best Deadlands ever, well, so far. So thank you all for listening. And we are planning to continue. Uh, it's a great group of players. We have fun. We drink beer. We eat really well because both Melissa and Amy cook amazing food and David and I just eat it. We're like the guinea pigs. But we drink lots of beer while we play. We actually had a bottle of wine this time since it was Father's Day. I guess it's special. But uh, that's what we do. We have dinner and then we either go out and have fun at one of our favorite, you know, kind of places to drink, Flying Saucer, which you guys have heard about. It's like our cheers. Or we play games here, whether it's uh, Deadlands, Savage Worlds, or, or Catan, or uh, Carcassonne, or Lunch Money, or Exploding Cats. So, all right, I'm going to leave here because we're all starting to laugh. Thank you. As promised, I'm going to look at the Streets role-playing game by Andrew Orvidal and Eliza Skinner, and illustrations by Amelia July and Andrew Ordeval layout by Rachel Weeks. So Streets, it's one of the, from the Zine Quest, and it's a tabletop role-playing game where you work with other players and the host, the GM, 
who's running the game to tell a story. Basically, you play a stray dog or a cat, and they actually have rules to be a rat, getting into adventures and avoiding being snatched by animal control or worse. So the world truths are that humans can understand you, but other, cannot understand you, but other animals can. You don't die, but if you take broken level damage, you're taken to the pound. If you're taken to the pound, you'll be adopted 1d6 later, 1d6 days later. While this is a happy ending for your character, it actually removes you from the game. So for so it's character creation is pretty easy. You choose a breed or a mixed breed, and you have a certain core energy scores totaling seven points. And the core energies are mental, physical, and charm. And then you have skills. And then you assign them to the available skills. So assign those points to your core energy and then assign them to the available skills. So you have seven points for each group. And then there's three, um, three mental skills, three physical skills, three charm skills. Zero to five, five being the best. And then you have luck and talents. Talents are based on you being a cat or a dog or a type of dog breed. Uh, the roles, the roles very similar. It seems akin to uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. It's a 2d6 roll. You add your skill into it. And uh, from 2 to 8, 2 to 5 is a failure. 6 to 8 is a so-so result. Uh, 9, 9, 11 is an outright success. And 12 plus success with benefits. There's advantages and disadvantages. So you might uh, roll when you have a favorable or unfavorable advantage. Take the highest or lowest. It's a very similar mechanic. It's a B, a D6. And then um, when you take damage, uh, you have six body parts. The legs, the, the four legs, the body, and the head. And as a result of a conflict, you roll 1D6 and apply it to the damage. If you're injured, you get a disadvantage. I think it can only be, it seems like it can only be injured twice. So the first time it gets hurt is injured. The second part is it's broken. And when you're injured, um, you get a disadvantage. If the second the body part again gets broken, then you can no longer perform skills or checks and you're taken by concerned folks, folks to the vet or the pound. Um, unless you rescue or escape, then you're out of the game. So then, then after that, that's the first five pages, the basic rules. Then there's a lot of pages. Um, and the book is broken up into two sections. So the player section and then a uh, no dogs allowed section. Um, I guess that's reminiscent of the uh, Snoopy cartoon, the Peanuts cartoon, Snoopy Come Home. And then and the running the game is the second section from page 14 to 50. And it has how to run the game, um, game variants, uh, different turfs in the city that the strays are in. Uh, a story generator, which is very nice. So you can just do that. One various one-shots. One they have a map of the pound. So I, I I liked it. It's a cute game. They have a lot of little adventures. Actually, the second half of the book is mostly adventures or encounters that you can do. They have a campaign idea with several adventures as well. Uh, the art is is like a sketched inks, which are nice, not color black and white, but it's pretty neat. Um, Right, they have like I guess they have coming up with another module. It seems there's an advertisement, um, so, <laughs> and this one I think they add magic to the game where the animals become powered, super powered, which would be kind of fun.
uh, take it to a more fantasy as opposed to real world problem solving by a bunch of stray dogs and cats and the occasional rat. So Streets, that's the role playing game. I'll put the, um, it's by Occupied Hex Games. It looks like they have a Patreon. I'll try to look for the, um, the website and give you that in the show notes. So very cool. One of the couple zines I did for Zine Quest. Streets, a role-playing game. So saying that, would I run this game? I think I would. It'd be fun. I just need, I should prep it for like a one-shot um, and do it with character creation. Hey, let's do the Streets game because it is very simple, powered by the apocalypse. Look through some of the adventures in the back and just do it for just a fun. Um, maybe I could convince my wife to run it because she's been always wanting me to run Cthulhu, which is a Call of Cthulhu when you're, you play a cat. So streets will probably be up their alley. Um, so we'll see. Oh, cool. Ideations. All right, I'm going to give the answers to the song snippets that I tried to sing so far in episodes one through six. I think I will do this occasionally so you all don't go and look on the internet to see what they are. And I think I only had one participant anyway in this phase, and it was Jason Connerly, and he only guessed the artist on two of the songs. Some people just aren't as musically... They love music, but like Jason said, he's tone deaf, and he can't recall singer or song to artist. And my wife is like that too. She'll go, oh, I know the artist, but doesn't know the song, which is cool. So I guess I have decided to give him a half a Benny for his guesses, and he had, he guessed the artist on two of them, so he has one Benny. So I'll put one Benny into the pot, and I don't know when I'll do my drawing, maybe around my birthday, which will be in, a, in about a month um, or so. Actually, exactly a month from now. Wow, I'm going to be all the 51 years old. So uh, maybe on my birthday, I will give a gift. So expect more songs to come. But hey, for episodes one to six, the songs are done. You cannot guess on them anymore. And here they are. From episode two, it was You Don't Remember, I'll Never Forget by Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force. And it was also Raise Your Horns by Amana Marth, also from episode two. From episode three, it was Pretty obvious, Manic Monday by The Bangles. That was the title, Just Another Sunday Fun Day. Ha ha ha. But I also had the songs Metal Gods by Judas Priest and The Trooper by Iron Maiden. And then in my Savage Weekend Recap, Episode 5, I had Closer to the Heart by Rush. And then Hold On by Triumph. Fight the Good Fight, also by Triumph. And I closed out with Daddy Sang Bass. Mama Sang Trouble. Just Daddy Sang Bass by Johnny Cash. So uh, those are the answers. And uh, hope you did well in your own little self-quiz. And Jason Connerly has a Benny. Mark the tape. <laughs>